Warm up your pipes. Tava ruim lá na Bahia, profissão de boy free, trabalhando noite e dia, não era isso que eu queria. Eu vim embora pra São Paulo. Eu fui no lombo do jumento, com pouco conhecimento, enfrentando chuva e vento, dando uns pedros fedorento. Até minha bunda fez um calo. Ok, enough. Hi, guys. What song was that? That was, that was beautiful. Jumento Celestino, by Mamonas Assassinas. It's, it's a great song. It is a great song. Amazing song. Amazing I, yeah. song. Talks about São Paulo, I feel represented, even though we're very far away from that yeah. today. <laughs> well, he moved from Bahia to São Paulo, so it's sort of like part of your family, right? 100%. See? Very relatable content. Yeah, my grandpa moved from Bahia to São Paulo. Like one of those like trucks. Yeah. No, it's funny because as I was researching this, I was thinking like, so many people from our region of Brazil come from the Northeast, yet I don't know that anyone in my family came from the Northeast. So I'm like, do I not know my family tree? Mm -hmm. Or is my family just so boring that no one ever adventured out of their state? (laughs) I'd rather think that I don't know my whole yeah. family three, you know, and mm-hmm. that my family came from like I don't know, somewhere remote. I think your family just like sprouted <laughs> yeah, from the ground. From the ground. Yeah, like. Yeah. I don't want to be only related to colonizers. I want to be related to cool people yeah. who did things, like <laughs> I don't know, killed some people, or I don't know, were rebels, rebelled against the crown, something like that. Talking about that. Who are we talking about today? Anyways, I'm, I mean, let me start again. I'm Carol. And I'm Stephanie. This is Suspiria. It's Suspiria, yes. That's the name of the podcast. Yes. So, <laughs> speaking of rebelling and coming from cool places and jumentos, um, on today's episode of Suspiria, we're going to cover another Brazilian story. Because, you know, when we go mm-hmm. to Brazil, we go several times until people are like, I cannot stand the history of your country anymore. And then we're like, okay, let's find somewhere else to go yeah. to. Um, yeah. And this is historical. This is like legit historical. Historical case. This is like a history lesson. Very important mm-hmm. history lesson. One of the most iconic ones that you're going to get from us. So you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Our episode will not focus on a single crime, but rather the criminal life surrounding one of the most notorious figures in Brazilian and Latin American history. And he is known as Lumpiel. Lumpiel. You might not recognize the name by us pronouncing it, but if you hear the story, a lot of you, if you're into history, you'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, wait a minute. I know that. I know this dude. Yeah. I, I'll make a leap here and I'll say it. I think, I honestly think, Lumpio and Maria Bonita are the Bonnie and Clyde of Brazil. Yes, they are. Yeah, I think which is yes. ironic because you know what? I'm not gonna dive into deep about Bonnie and Clyde because uh-huh. we have Tupini Crimi listeners here, so I'm not gonna say anything yeah. else. But they really are. Yeah. But I think they were even better than Yeah, they were more Bonnie. badass than Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, because they yeah. lasted like I feel like Bonnie and Clyde lasted way a way shorter period of time Mm -hmm. and they didn't cover as much space either yeah oh boy this is gonna be a great story you guys i'm so excited we've been wanting to do this for so long like when we started we're like okay we're gonna do this is it a true crime story absolutely absolutely 
So there's that's, crime. So mm-hmm. there's I mean yeah there's crime there's gore there's public humiliation there's everything all we love everything that we love. But we do have to warn you this is not like a murder type of thing. It's not like the last episodes. It's not a serial killer or anything like that. It's really mm-hmm. a lot like Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, it's a Bonnie and Clyde type Latin story. Latin American. So if you don't like that sorry but still listen to us because you love us so even if you don't like it listen to it and then you have a reason not to like it then you can yeah talk shit about and then it. you can be like okay do not mm-hmm. care about this brazilian dude waste of my time so okay so today our sources are jornal opção aventuras na história wikipedia because we're not made of steel an interview with ilda ribeiro de souza also known as Sheila, on the um amazing talk show uh, Jô Soares, 11h30. I don't, I don't know how to compare him to like an American figure, but he's a talk show host. He's I like think he's like f- David Letterman. Yeah. Sort, sort of, but mm-hmm. like cooler. <laughs> yeah, cooler, funnier. Like, he's, yeah, he's super cool. Because he was a comedian, so. You know that when I was growing up, I thought his name was Jô Soares. Like, Jô Soares, no. Jô. Soares? Soares. Jô Soares, like. So, Anyways. Jô is my dad's nickname. Uh-huh. So, like, I always, I'm not going to say my dad's full name here, but Carol knows it. Mm-hmm. But I always thought that Josuarez's, like, given name was the same as my dad's. <laughs> so I would be like, oh, yeah, my dad's name is blah, blah, blah. You know, like, Josuarez. <laughs> but, like, I was completely lying. <laughs> so also, lying. back on the sources, the YouTube channel Buenos Ideas, which I recommend to Steph for this story because, yeah, he, yeah, he does really cool um history video so if you're a portuguese speaker or a spanish speaker if you i like it no a little bit about it's super cool he's like one of the like a super cool like history teacher that like talks shit he about you because you don't know shit when you're i had yeah, yeah. it's yeah. amazing it's amazing also documentaries lampião os últimos dias do rei do cangaço memórias do cangaço a senhora dada a vida pós cangaço de sergia silva chagas Sergio is a, is a very unique name. Yeah, I've been I've seen Sergio or Ser- Sergio, yeah, Sergio in Portuguese, but oh. n- never Sergio. Like, oh. who am I to judge? <laughs> <laughs> so, in order to talk about Lampion, it is important that we first discuss the movement, uh, the social phenomenon known as Cangasso. While there isn't a direct translation of that word, we will do our best to explain what it is. As we said, it was a social movement within the northeastern part of Brazil associated with highway robberies. Uh, so they weren't really like highway robberies. They were more like robberies that took place in rural communities of the Brazilian Sertão. But the mm-hmm. way you translate what they did is highway robberies because, you know, yeah. languages are hard. It wasn't a highway. It was yeah. a dirt road with yeah. horses on it. Yeah, and over, like yeah. farms and like a bunch of people that had like yeah. plantations and stuff like that. So, sertão, which is another word that we just said, can be roughly translated as the outback. Um, and I saw an article, because they've written articles in English about this, um, and I think they called it the backlands or something backlands. like that. I think outback is a good like depiction, like if you... Like picturing yeah, that's head. what I thought. Well, too, the Australian but then, like, I saw backlands. I was like, yeah, I don't think so. But um, according to Wikipedia, because I do not remember my geography lessons in Brazil. <laughs> sorry, it's been 
over 10 years that's erased from my brain uh it is one of the four subregions of the northeast region of brazil personally speaking i think i can speak for carol and myself when we think of sertão we think of a desert like environment yeah looks like a desert uh growing up we saw Uh, several news reports of people like suffering because there's always severe droughts within mm-hmm. Sertão. Many of the people that live there like struggle to find something to eat or clean water to consume. Yeah, yeah. I like. I remember when I was little, I saw this thing where this woman was uh, sauteing like cactus, and I was like, "Mom, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is happening?" That's like how desperate people in there are for like food and water, uh, which is unfortunately still a reality within several communities in Brazil, as we've mentioned before. But at the timeline, at the time of this story, it was even worse, probably. Yeah, Most likely, yeah. there's a lot of inequality in Brazil, especially in the northeastern part, mm-hmm. um, because we'll talk about it but like mainly like all the factories and big industries in brazil are all in the southeast so not a lot of investment is done in the northeastern region even though it's like beautiful and like a really good uh like touristic hub and stuff like that there's still people in, in like small towns that suffer a lot so yeah if, as carol said if it's bad now picture this a couple of centuries ago without the advantages brought by technology and you've got the breathing ground of Kangas. Mm-hmm. So a person who is part of the Kangasu is known as Kangasero. There's a little bit of a debate as to where the word originated. Many say that it came from yoke used by farm animals to pull carts and such. Although this is credited by different sources, we weren't able to find definitive answers as to whether it's accurate as to whether this explanation is accurate or not. So back to the cangacero. A cangacero was someone who was considered a nomadic drifter who had guns, water canteens, and pouches around their clothes. Around their clothes. So it's it, it's there's a look to a cangacero. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Because yeah. they wear, it's like kind of like a, a Wild West meets like Brazil yeah, yeah. meets. Very Wild yeah. West. Like, they have like yeah. the hats. It's like the most iconic part of all this. Um, for lack of a better description, it's like a empanada shaped hat. Hat, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. E- exactly. Like, it's a half moon. Uh-huh. It's like a, a half moon. So it starts on the forehead, like, you know, a, a straight line, like, around the forehead, staying to the sides, and the circle is an empanada-shaped head, shaped hat. And it's really, I, th- I think it's super cool. Like, I, I really appreciate the aesthetics of it, you know? Yeah, me so too. So that's super cool, yeah. Especially because, like, this is, like, the middle of fucking nowhere. How how are you guys making all these? I know, right? How'd you come up with this? There's no Instagram, there's no Pinterest. Exactly. Right? Anyways. Cangaceros earned their, their notoriety between the years of 1751 and 1921. Some of the most notorious Cangaceros were Cabaleira, who terrorized Pernambuco, which is a state of ours, in 1775. Also, Lucas da Feira, Jesuíno Brilhante, who was known for giving the poor the food he stole from government trains. 
nice guy, Antonio Silvino, a.k.a. Golden Rifle, who, among many things, kidnapped English railroad employees who worked in Paraíba, another state of ours. Uh, also, Senor Pereira, and the star of our episode, Lampião. Lampião would also become the second most biographed historical figure within the Americas, right behind Che Guevara. He was considered a hero by some and a criminal by others. He's a controversial figure, just like Che Guevara. So, on to him. Virgulino Ferreira da Silva, also known as Lampião, is such a controversial figure that even his date of birth is disputed. According to his christening certificate, he was born on June 4th, 1898. This is the most commonly accepted date of birth for him, since back in the day, you would christen a child first and then properly register them. I believe there was even like a conspiracy theory, like if you didn't christen them first, uh, the government would do something. I don't fucking know. Something like that. The second date of birth we have for him is February 12th, 1900 which, according to Antonio Américo de Medeiros, was provided by Lampião himself while he was interviewed by writer Leonardo Mota in 1926. He was born in a town which was back then known as Vila Bela, but is currently known as Serra Talhada in the state of Pernambuco. He was the third child of José Ferreira dos Santos, who was a pack animal driver slash farm worker, and Maria Susana da Purificação. Wow. Yeah, so he, Lampio had four brothers and four sisters, which back then, pretty standard, actually. Poor, poor lady, man. Yeah, three of his brothers, Antonio, um, Livino, and Ezequiel, would eventually join him in the Cangasso, while his other brother, João, stayed home to watch over their sisters. Unlike many around him at the time, Lampio was actually literate. And he wore reading glasses, which, like, he lived in a very, very small neighborhood in the middle of fucking nowhere. So it was very rare for you to see people his mm -hmm. age with that. And, like, he wasn't rich either, so. Yeah. It's kind of out of place. Like, the whole look and then with glasses is kind of like, whoa, where'd you get those? Yeah, right? like, aren't you poor like all of us? Like, where the fuck did you get that? <laughs> and you know how to read? This is the 1900s mm -hmm. and you know how to read. Um, yeah, so he worked as a craftsman until the, around the age of 21. What changed that, you might ask? Well, there <laughs> was a big, big disagreement between the Ferreira family and a neighbor of them called José Saturnino. Picture the Montague, 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 how the fuck do you say that? Montague? I think it was Montague. I don't know. The Romeo and, the, Juliet, Romeo and Juliet people, you yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah, picture their feud. That's what it was like between them. And this also reminds me of those Looney Tunes cartoons you remember, where they would have one dude on the hill, and then another dude yeah. on another hill, and they would meet in the middle and just start shooting at each other. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, in the midst of all this hostility, Lampion's father was killed in either 1919 or 1920 by police sergeant José Lucena. So, back in the day, vengeance and honor walked amongst hand in hand, so Lampion decided to join the Cangasso to avenge his father's death. 
not taking matters into your own hands was kind of considered an act of cowardice, so that's the only option, basically. The local severe droughts that were that we already mentioned, along with the governmental negligence with the economic situation of the region, transformed locals into quasi-slaves to the um, elites. This dire situation pushed a lot of young people into a life of crime. A tale that we're not too unfamiliar with because it still happens everywhere, every day, right? Mm-hmm. Tales of this time, true as it can be, especially because there's a lot of police retaliated towards the lower income people. Hmm. Yeah. So poor people are getting screwed everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Analizando essa cadeira estária, quero me Although many joined Kangas as a way to avenge things that happened to them in the past, others saw it as a way to support themselves through the money that they stole from victims. And there were also others who were looking for an adventure, seeking, seeing, seeing their lives had no prospect of improving at all while they lived in the, in the Sertão. Yeah. Which is also something that kind of happens today in the favelas. You yeah. know, like you see your life, you're really, really young, you see your life has no prospect. So you might as well make some money dealing drugs well, and yeah. carrying rifles all around. Fun. Having fun until you die, anyways. You know, which is super sad. Mm-hmm. Bones me out thinking about it. At this time, the main sources of income for people were farming, but farming uh, to provide a livelihood for, themse- for themselves. So family fr- farming, like literally, I'm, I have one cow and I'm planting just yucca and that's all I eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So that fishing and informal commerce, even though they earn extremely low wages, which sometimes wasn't even enough to get by, Uh, although the um, industrialist movement had arrived in Brazil, they were building factories everywhere. It was concentrated in the southeast, with very, very few factories daring to branch out into the northeast. In 1920, shortly after joining the Cangaceiros, Lampião joined the group of Sebastião Pereira e Silva, a.k.a. Senhor Pereira. When you're learning about the story, you need to take into consideration that there's a lot of he said, she said about certain details, one of which is Lampião's nickname. Some authors credit Senhor Pereira with giving Virgulino the nickname, while others say that he came up with his own nickname. What is somehow agreed across the board is that the nickname came from the fact that he never missed a shot, and when his rifle was going on doing a shooting, it never stopped. It was always lit up like a lamp, or in Portuguese, Lampião. Mm-hmm. So, the nickname is literally Big Lamp. Big Lamp, yeah. More or less. In Senhor Pereira's version, Lampion had used the light from a shot to f- find a cigarette that had been dropped on the ground. So just like turning your iPhone's flashlight on, right? But like yeah. Kangasa style. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I don't know which one I like more, though. <laughs> like, both of them are pretty like, badass. Yeah. I mean, he should have like lit up the cigarette with a bullet or something. That would have been the... cool. That would have been better, yeah. I feel like someone has done that. I don't know. I feel like I've read that I don't before. Know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, by 1922, Lampion had taken over control of Sr. Pereira's crew after Sr. Pereira took the advice of Padre Cicero and retired. So, Padre Cicero... Another very, very known Yeah, figure. Padre Cicero is a priest, and he is, like, considered, like, a saint. 
in the northeast of brazil pretty mm-hmm. much and all of these people mm-hmm. all these criminals they were all like very close to him and they all listened to his advice yeah. very closely like you did not mess with Pedro Cesar. um yeah so there's that that's why like it's not a random mm-hmm. priest telling him to retire it's like the priest it's the yeah. priest. Like, there's even a statue. It's the for Jesus this dude. walking around. Like, uh, you know the Christ yeah. statue? There's one for Padre Sisu. That's how big he is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Olympian was an excellent strategist and extremely brave when it came to fighting the police. He killed the informant who had led the police to his father and led the biggest robbery committed by Cangasso up until then against the Agua Branca Baroness. So, like, he was not scared of shit. His criminal prowess is also exemplified by a confrontation in 1927 at the Hiashi Jisangi, where Lampion and 50 of his men were surrounded by 400 policemen. Mm-hmm. He was obviously outnumbered, so he told all of his men to cease fire and stay absolutely quiet so that the cops would think that they had killed them all. Once the cops approached them, they were shot at and they just retreated so insert guitar riff yeah (laughs) henry zabrowski's guitar (laughs) guitar sounds (laughs) so he would be ambushed multiple times throughout his criminal career like there's even a time where they invited him over uh to dinner and like poisoned the food and he let someone eat it first and uh he realized that fuck the police is here and he still got away so um, because of this, he became a mythical figure, and some even believed that he had supernatural powers. Uh, as crazy as that may sound, like people, because some of the shit that he got away with was like not real. Um, he led a nomadic army of around one hundred men, but they almost always separated into smaller groups so as to evade capture and increase mobility. But what did they really do, like? Did they just go around robbing houses and stealing food? Well, testimony from survivors report home invasions, murders, robberies, kidnappings, rapes, castrations, mutilations, village invasions, as well as arson in plantations and the killing of farm animals. So they were pretty heavy duty. Some pretty, pretty standard Old Testament kind of stuff. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but like... For today's standard, it's like, uh, what? Uh, But to be completely fair, a lot of the atrocities credited to the cangaceiros were committed by people within subgroups other than the one that was led by Olympia. Researcher Amaury Correia de Araújo, who wrote seven books on the subject, so I would say that he knows what he's talking about, (laughs) said that none of the former cangaceiros he personally interviewed confirmed that any of the rapes or castrations were committed by Lampion himself. Yeah, you think that this wouldn't be committed by the leaders and just maybe by, like, a minority, perhaps, that wants to join this to live this life of crime and excuse their things that they'll be doing anyways? Right? Yeah. Not trying to justify it. It's fucking awful and horrible, but I don't know. And even, like, uh, with the interview with Sila, she was forced into this. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this later. Mm-hmm. But she said that Lumpion was not an evil person. He was not mean. Like, unless you attacked him first, 
he wouldn't attack mm-hmm. you. Obviously, they had to rob to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the things that she said. She was like, we're, we were not going to starve. So if you had a farm, we were just going to get in there and steal your cattle. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. like, he wasn't necessarily cruel to people unless yeah. they quote-unquote deserved it so lampion felt so fearless that at one point in 1926 he even wrote a letter to the governor of pernambuco proposing that the state split in two and he keep one of the halves crowning himself as governor of Sertão. yeah pretty fair he was like oh you can keep your half i'll keep my half i think this is my favorite paragraph of this podcast like so far (laughs) like can you imagine the audacity <laughs> the audacity was non caucasity <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, the audacity of the uh no, I don't have a Portuguese word for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In April of 1926, Lampion was asked by Floro Bartolomeu and Padre Cicero to become captain of the Brazilian army. Yes, in order to defeat Luis Carlos Prestes and the Coluna Prestes, who were trying to overthrow President Arthur Bernardes. Again, you see how these people are, like, wrapped up in history, man? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, while the Cangaceros most notoriously used an 1873 Winchester rifle, they were then provided by the government through Padre Cicero and Bartolomeu, which were trustworthy figures, 50... 1922 Mazda rifles. So they were given brand new, shining, sparkling pow pow guns. Sounds familiar, America. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you guys see what the, sto- the story is going, right? So let's repeat this if you didn't understand what we said. The government gave this troop of criminals new guns, better than the mm-hmm. guns they had before. Mm-hmm. Hoping... Things would work out perfectly. What do they think yeah. was going to happen? Honestly. I don't know. Sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> so, Lampion was named the captain of the Patriotic Brigade, which was a militia movement made up of criminals and created by the local colonels with, with the purpose of defending state governments against the attacks of the rebel forces led by Miguel Costa and Luis Prestes. Mm-hmm. So when you when they say that Brazil was never in any wars, yes, we were we were with ourselves. Yeah, most of all, of civil wars. <laughs> yeah, civil war. Anyways, sounds like a priest would gig, right? Fighting the rebels, etc. When you are a rebel yourself, mm-hmm. amazing. Well, if it looks too good to you, you know it's not gonna be great. So although uh, he was being named a member of the armed forces, the government wasn't going to pardon Limpio and his crew from any of his previous crimes. And the little title that he was being given wasn't actually official. They were just using him to get rid of a problem. And then, and then, you know. Yeah. So what happened? Limpio took the rifles broke the deal and used the government's own ammunition to push his agenda even further. That's what you get. Congratulations, you you played yourself. (laughs) 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 That's the definition of that. Yeah. Like, how how stupid... I feel like they thought, oh, this dude is in the middle of the... Basically, the desert. He probably doesn't even know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And, like, they, they just thought he was dumb. And he was like, 
no you're not gonna pardon me of my crimes like why would i do any of this if i'm not mm-hmm. getting anything mm-hmm. you just like, thought he was like he a dumb 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 poor man that was just gonna be so yeah. glad that he got a new gun that he just like get away from this life yeah. of crime no yeah no <laughs> So, in 1929, Lampion met a girl who would shake his world. Her name was Maria Gomez Oliveira. (laughs) (laughs) She was also known as Maria Dea and later known as Maria Bonita. So, something that's very interesting that I did not know before I researched this. They, like, back when they were all alive, they didn't call her Maria Bonita. Mm. It was after she, like almost no it wasn't after she was dead i'm sorry it was like a year before she died there was a Mm -hmm. movie that was released and they called her maria bonita in this movie or something and And that's how the nickname like appeared like they Mm -hmm. never called her maria bonita even sila when she's being interviewed by josuarez he asked her because bonita in portuguese means pretty Pretty, right or beautiful and he asked her, like, was she really pretty? And she was like, no, she was a regular girl and she was fat. <laughs> you know, like, she says it, like, so serious. She's like, no, she wasn't pretty. She was a regular girl and she was fat. And everybody just starts laughing. And Josh Wattis is just like, all right. Dude. <laughs> He's just like, okay. <laughs> I love, I think there's there must be, like, an honesty clausel or something with Josh Wattis' show. That he, like, always asks some stuff and people are, like, so brutally honest. And he just stays there, like, looking at the camera. Like, you know, like, Steve Harvey does that look to the camera, like, sometimes. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, that's exactly what Josh Wattis does, too. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. she was uh, Maria Bonita, as we would know her. That's how she is known in, like... Yeah history books um she was 17 um she had been married to a cobbler named jose miguel da silva also known as zed like the nicknames are amazing the, it, the names every single name is just a treasure it, it, it's great uh i'm not even gonna go into like translations because yeah not just... even going to the she was 17 divorced yeah <laughs> but she had no kids which is a miracle there you go um so they met uh, her and Lampion at her parents' farm in Malhada de Caixara, which is in Bahia. Maria was the niece of one of Lampion's coiteiro. So a coiteiro was someone who helped out the cangaceiros, be it with information, food, or shelter. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of them. Um, they were just like little helpers all around mm-hmm. all the seven states that they were um, active in. Interesting. Some report that the minute she saw him, she was like, that is the love of my life. Love at first sight. I need that man. (laughs) Like, she wanted him to let her follow him on the road. Prior to Uh, Maria's presence, yeah. (laughs) Like, she's 17, so I don't think she knows what she's actually (laughs) talking about. Yeah. Like, teenagers, please don't. If you're dating, listen to me right now. If you're listening to this, and your boyfriend is a drug dealer, do not follow him into the room. If he's a gun, an arms dealer, do not follow. If he does anything illegal, actually, even if he does something illegal, don't follow him. Men are not worth it. Prior to Maria's presence in Lampion's life, the Cangaceiros had wives and children, but they kept them apart from their life on the road. Because, like, for obvious reasons. <laughs> I don't think I need to explain this, but yeah. 
So, Sr. Pereira himself thought it was very strange when a year after starting their relationship, Lampion decided to bring her along with him. In Sr. Pereira's opinion, women would create drama and fights. It, all they're doing is literally crimes. Uh, yeah. So, I mean... Mm. Anyway, so that couldn't be farther from the truth. The movement had that had previously been male-dominated was now mixed. Other congasseros started bringing their wives along as well. And their level of violence when attacking people also declined after the women were introduced to groups. So suck on that. Strong argument to mixing your criminal troops, you know? Exactly, yeah. Str- yeah. You got a gang? Let women commit crimes. Exactly. Ask a girl to join your gang. She might think it's weird that you're randomly approaching her, but... Hashtag, ask a girl to join your gang. Exactly, Yes. Yeah. So being a congasera was very different from what being a housewife was in the 1930s. The women weren't expected to cook or clean since no one really had a house. So while camping, the men cooked and cleaned. They were also expected they weren't also expected to fight either. Out of the 41 women who eventually joined the Cangasso, only one of them actually fought. Her name was Sergio Ribeiro da Silva, also known as Dada. Although when confronting the police, women were kept uh, in their in the rear surrounded by three or four men, Dada was forced to fight when her husband, the notorious Cangaceiro Corisco, was shot in the was shot in both arms so he couldn't lift a gun anymore. That that was really famous after the movement died down and she reportedly carried around a 13 millimeter gun when she was part of the Congasso. We'll talk we'll talk about her a little later though. Women were expected to keep their husband's company. If they did have children, said children would be said would be sent to live with one of the coiteros. Lampio and Maria had a daughter named Espedita Ferreira Nunes, who was born in 1932 and raised by a couple of ranchers who were friends with Lampio and Maria. That's a little, like, ballsy to give your daughter a way to be, like, raised by your friends, right? Yeah, no, and even, like... Especially uh, if you're not, like, anywhere around them. Yeah, I know, it's crazy, but, like... It's, I feel like it's the times, too. Like, in the 30s, people were more yeah, I guess. trusting. And, like, I don't know. I feel like they were the worst, quote-unquote, that society had to offer. So, like, it couldn't get worse for the kid. <laughs> That's so true. So, they had a child two years earlier who was stillborn, though. There's a rumor that... There's a rumor as to whether they were also the biological parents of twins Erlindo and Ananias Gomez Oliveira. All in all, there is a consensus that Maria, <laughs> that Maria Bonita got pregnant four times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although many attempted to paint Lampiel and the Cangaceiros as Robin Hood type of figures in Brazil, he wasn't really all that. He was allied with pow- powerful political figures for which he offered hitman-esque services. He gave poor children coins and would donate stolen fabric to raggedy people he found on the road, but that was about it. Still. Everybody does some charity, right? It's a little bit. Yeah, it's still, it was enough to gain the favor of several people uh, who put him on a pedestal. They were like, oh, he is the best. Mm-hmm. He is our Lord and Savior. He blah, 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 blah. Um, some authors even credit him as being the mentor of modern organized crime in Brazil. Hmm. Yeah. 
when killing people, the cangaceros had a whole ritual going on. They would use a really, really long dagger to puncture people's clavicles and just keep <gasps> pushing it in, severing arteries, severing a lung, crossing the victim's heart, and then they would like pull it out and the blood would go squish out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they didn't decide to wow. kill the victim, they would draw things like crosses on men's foreheads or mark women with hot irons used to mark cattle. So, and it was like on their faces too. <laughs> Carol was like speechless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just imagining like you just sitting at your farm and then you see these people approach and you're like, shit, here we go. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> In 1935, Lampion was named by the Alianza Nacional Libertadora, that was a left-leaning front made up by sectors from several different anti-imperialist, anti-fascist organizations, as one of the as one of their political inspirations. He was also phot- photographed and recorded by Benjamin Abraham Bonito Boto in 1936. This is some of the most famous footage that we have of him up to date he was seen by many as someone who just took what he wanted regardless of what stood in the way Mm -hmm. there's always something kind of like inspirational about like uh someone who doesn't conform to any rules and it's like a huge fuck you just like you know normative society that we still love to this day yeah which is minus the violence that they have but like you know yeah yeah i mean yeah i guess I i don't feel like I don't know. I, I don't know if I would f- admire someone like that. <laughs> I feel like I'd be like, yeah. oh, you're just looking for trouble. And also, I yeah. forgot to write, but there was allegedly uh, a 1930 New York Times article about him. But I couldn't find Boy. the article, so I didn't want to write it down. Uh-huh. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd think... You think that the U.S. knew about it, right? Because the U.S. is always meddled with politics and stuff. Yeah. But you think that you, the U.S. would know about a lawless troop of criminals roaming around? Yeah. The U.S. loves that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I found so like, they, articles yeah. about him in the New York Times, but they were all from the 2000s. I was looking for like the mm-hmm. 1931, but I guess that wouldn't be digitalized for some reason. I don't yeah. know. Who knows? So Olympio managed to evade capture for 20 whole years, and that is through his powerful connections, especially to Baiano Coronel Petronio de Alcântara Reis and Army Captain Eronildes de Carvalho, who would later become the governor of another state of ours, Alagoas, by the way. Yeah. Um, him and his crew was were given ammunition, medicine, clothing, shoes, and money, which were monumental in their survival while being persecuted by police in seven different states. In an interview in 1926, Lampion said that he, quote, appreciated especially the conservative classes, farmers, and business owners. I wonder why you appreciate them, because you rob them all the time. (laughs) Yeah, you appreciate cows that you milk, right? (laughs) Like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And the, the whole police persecution, it's like... Can you imagine? There's Seven a song states. that says like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that uh, I'm not gonna sing it, but like you know, the it's basically like the sun's coming out, the police is after you, run for your life. 
basically. Yeah. Like there's that describes songs, all that. There's like poetry, uh, poesia de yeah. cordel, right? Cordel, like yeah. that. Uh, like there's a lot of stuff, like that was done mm-hmm. while he was alive and afterwards too. And a lot of famous people who were also like very much supporters of him, like Luis Gonzaga. Anyway, mm-hmm. so oh, I thought I heard something. Even though mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily swimming in gold, they weren't like balling. Okay, they robbed, but they <laughs> pretty much robbed to survive because they were sleeping like in the middle of the woods. Once someone joined the Cangasso, they hardly ever wanted or had the ability to leave. There's a lot of pride involved with being part of a crew, which could be seen in by the way they dress. Like Carol said, like if you looked at them, you would know that they were Cangaceiros. Yeah, it's a whole identity. They had like embroidered clothing, custom-made hats. Some of the hats were decorated with like actual gold coins. Those hats disappeared after the police did what they did. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. Uh, so leaving the group was also a no-no because no one would employ you, like you wouldn't get a job, and leaving yeah. meant that you had to surrender to the police, and no one was about to fucking do that. Mm-hmm. As you know by our Navis yeah. Brothers episode, going to jail in the 1930s wasn't really a walk around the park. And if you haven't heard the Navis Brothers episode, highly suggest it. It's like around the same time frame. And it just shows yeah. different perspectives of, like, the mm-hmm. same timeline. So, everything came tumbling down after the coup of 1937, through which Getúlio Vargas ascended to power. You would know this, listener, if you listen to the Navis Brothers episode. <laughs> um, yeah. The dictator established the Estado Novo, the new estate, and started mm-hmm. pressuring authorities to get rid of the Cangasso no matter what it took. So, the police and the investigators and everyone started working on an, a strategy to put an end to all of this. By 1938, Lumpio had lost his vision on the right eye due to a glaucoma. Glaucoma. He was also limping around because of a shot that basically destroyed his ankle. Maria Bonita had been with him for eight whole years and she was fed up with the life that they were living. I would be too. Police did not give them a break, and she wanted them to make their way out before it was too late. On July 18th, he summoned a meeting through his coiteiros at a place called Grota do Angico. It was sort of like a cave. It had been pre- they had been there previously, so it was familiar territory. The official summons stated that he would talk that they would talk about their plan of action moving forward. But some people speculated that what he really wanted to do was tell people that he was on his way out. The subgroups of Cangaceros, Laberedas, Zé Sereno, Corisco, and Canario were told to meet Lampion at the location between July 22nd and 28th. So on the 18th, many of the subgroups started making their way there. A week before arriving at the final destination, my favorite movie, there was there were reports that Lumpio had been at a party at Paulo Afonso. The Grota was yeah, and like not only not any party, but like ah, Hastape, which I did not know how to translate that, but yeah, it's like a dance it's, party. It's it was the just party, yeah. His life away. 
The grotta was located within the property of Guillermina Rodriguez Rosa, who was a widow. Her son, Pedro Cândido, was a known coitero who Lampion trusted very much. Lampion arrived there with Maria Bonita and their personal guard, which was made up of, of eight men. So, I think we all know. <laughs> yeah, it's narrowing down here the story, funnily. Yeah. On July 22nd, Pedro had gone over his friend. Uh, it wasn't really his friend, it was his compadre. But I don't know what the word for compadre Buddy. is. I don't think there's a word for compadre in English. Uh, associate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, let's just say his associate, Joca Bernardo. So he went over his place trying to purchase a large quantity of cheese. Joca was also a coitero, but he was a, a coitero of Corisco. But he wasn't as well regarded by Corisco as Pedro was by Lampião. He was just like that dude that you send on errands whereas Pedro was like, oh no, I trust this mm -hmm. dude to do You just errands. want to buy cheese and you don't so, want to do actual serious things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he didn't uh, really tell Jaca much. He was just like, give me the cheese. <laughs> uh, but Jaca was like, what the fuck? So what did he, what did mm -hmm. he do? My favorite, my favorite pastime, <laughs> he snitched. Um... <laughs> Jaca went over to the police station and told Sergeant Aniceto Rodriguez that while he didn't know where Lampion was, he was sure that Pedro would tell the police hmm. everything after being investigated and interrogated, which you know how yeah. interrogations went. It's a little persuasive, yeah. Yeah. The sergeant then sent a telegram to Lieutenant João Bezerra da Silva, who had been on the hunt for Lampion for quite some time. I believe he might have even like been like personally picked by someone really important mm. to hunt Lampion or something like that. The message said, and I have to translate this because it, it makes sense in, mm -hmm. in Portuguese, but it might not make sense in English. But the message said, come quick, cattle in the pasture. In, uh, boy in the past. Mm. The, the, the eagle has landed fish is going on stuff like that okay yeah okay. yeah 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 so Bezerra then told Aniceto that he needed to gather some men and meet him in the middle of nowhere basically he was like oh you meet me in this remote ass location in the middle of the woods so Bezerra then borrowed a submachine gun from Sergeant Ogilon Flor and he headed towards the place where him and Aniceto were to meet. They needed to get their shit together and attack the Cangaceiro's hiding place. In a small town called Piranhas, on the morning of uh, the 27th, Aniceto gathered 12 men together and put them all in a truck. Then he, like, which, this sounds ludicrous to me right now that people were, would fall for this, but... He started driving around town and going like, oh my god, we're gonna drive really far away. Road trip. How can you believe us? <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. He did that because he knew that Lampion had like coiteros mm -hmm. all over the place. So they would tell him, hey, the police is traveling somewhere far to catch you. So you're good here. Jeez. And so they would feel safe mm -hmm. where they were, which is exactly what happened. I'm like, how did... You know better. How, like, you know better, like, Don't be suspicious. Like, Jean Ralphio <laughs> and Mona Lisa dancing, don't be suspicious. <laughs> like, exactly like that. Like, man. 
So once an, once Aniceto met with Bezerra, another man accompanied another man accompanied. I don't know how to say that. Followed him. What's it? Yes, exactly. Officer candidate Pereira. All right. They set up a, a plan away from the other men in the group so as not to spook them. Fifty policemen entered Piranhas at night aboard three canoes that were tied up all together as if they were in a big boat. They first stopped at the little village of Entre Montes, where they captured Pedro and tortured him until he told them exactly where Lampion was. Pedro's younger brother, Durval, 17, was also dra dragged along the river since he was the last person to take packages to the campsite. Yeah, so uh, so the night before, as we mentioned already, Sila, the woman who was interviewed by Jo Suarez, she said that at night, she was asked by Maria Bonita to go out for like a smoke. And, you know, they were talking. Maria Bonita was telling her, hey, like, I'm fed up with this life, blah, 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 blah. And then Sila noticed that there was, like, a light flashing <sighs> away from them. And she was like, do you see that light flashing? And Maria Bonita was like, oh, no, th those were fireflies. Oh. And she was like, okay. And she said that after that, she could only keep, like, focusing on the fireflies. But when she went back to her her little mm -hmm. thing with her husband, which I forgot his name right now, Zé... Oh my god. <laughs> Zé I'm, I'm gonna be bothered if I don't say it. Zé Sereno. But she didn't, she didn't tell him anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and she said that in the interview with Joe, she, she said, if I had said that I saw something that were light flashing, we would have been prepared. Like, we would have either left or we would have been prepared mm -hmm. to fight in the morning. Um, but now, uh, specialists like historians and stuff say that around the same time, there's a lot of, uh, traffic from like farmers moving from one mm -hmm. town to the other. So it doesn't necessarily mean that what she saw was the police coming their way. It could have been like a farmer, but she mm -hmm. obviously felt like she could have done something. So. Yeah. At 4 a.m., they divided themselves among three combat groups and walked towards the campsite, guided by their brothers, gathered by the brothers who had guns pointed at them. Uh, it was only then that Bizea told the soldiers that they were going against Lampion. Surprise, surprise! This is an ambush! This is fun, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Can you imagine, you like, your stomach guys. just, like, drops, like, holy shit. Cycle. Yeah, especially because Lampion yeah. had a bit of a rep that like you know it's invincible so can you imagine yeah. yeah the men were so frightened and nervous by the news that they started drinking cachaça mixed with gum powder as if it was liquid courage why do i think of charlie from zoe sunny here right yes yes <laughs> yeah that he would do like the gum powder gum powder with moonshine like a mere 650 meters after they start their walk from the margins of the San Francisco River, Ferreira's team came face to face with Amoroso, one of the cangaceros. He was. Oh, shit. A whole log just comes out, drops, whoop. <laughs> That's it. He yeah. was up early collecting water so he, would commit, so he could make some coffee. A soldier named. Abdon, Abdon, got very frazzled and shot Amoroso, but missed. All three teams then started shooting at the campers. 
So, Lumpion was pretty quickly killed. He was shot in the head, just to be sure, mm. though. Like, he, they knew but he was just... already dead. And they shot him in the head. Because they are like, why the fuck not? Many of the cops also hit him with the blunt part of their guns. Because why yeah. the fuck not, right? Like, we can't do it. Maria Bonita was shot in the stomach by Corporal Panta de Godoy. And tried to run away, but she was shot in the back. He then decapitated her while she was still alive. Not nice. Not nice. Lumpia was also decapitated, as were the other nine people who died there. Luis Pedro, Quinta Feira, Marcela, Eletrico, Mergulhão, Cochete, Luiz de Teresa, Alecrim, and Enegina. The shooting took all in all five minutes, and 24 people escaped. Hmm. One of them was Sila, because we have her interview. Um, the bodies were left there and eaten by the animals and scavengers around the area. With time, the bones were dragged around by the floods of the San Francisco River. Mm-hmm. The heads were initially exposed at the steps of the Piranha City Hall, along with guns and personal items. There's of a the picture bandits. of that. Yeah, they did like a little altar for with the heads. There's a yeah. lot of pictures of the they, heads. Yeah, <laughs> they put like all their stuff basically in the hats and all the hats, but like you know, a bunch of stuff in the heads. And st- it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. But they used to happen a lot. They like expose someone's head or something and their whole body. They happen like in several moments of Brazil's history, that someone that a historical figure ends up exposed like in public square, dead. That that happens a lot. Very Game of Thrones. Yeah, of but this is the thirties. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. The policemen at the scene, like, as soon as they decapitated them, they divided the money that they found amongst amongst themselves, and they sold the majority of whatever they had. I think they sold 90% mm. of whatever they had, and uh, the rest of it went to this place called Instituto Historico e Geográfico de Alagoas, which is where all the guns are exposed to, like, whatever's left of the mm-hmm. cagaceiros is there. And I really want to go there, actually. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, Bezerra would also mail a necklace that Lampion had on him to First Lady Darcy Vargas. So, what a, a great gift to the First Lady. What a great gift. So great. Wow. Uh, okay. The officers paraded the head through... Other towns, including Santana de Panema, where the heads were displayed in front of a church. School was canceled and business closed so people could come and celebrate, look at the heads and go, yes, we're finally, finally free from these people, I guess. Yeah. Look at their dead bodies. Because, I mean, also, you need kind of, you need to like look at it to believe that he's dead, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Bin Laden. Like, no one's seen his body. Yeah. I don't believe he's dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> if we had... Hear me out. If we had killed Bin Laden and just you know, exposed him... I think I see him, the FBI entering your room right now. No. Oh, if, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, but if we had killed him, dismembered him, and, like, you know, put his head on a stake, paraded him around Washington, we believe that he's dead, right? True. I'm just saying. In the morning of the 31st, they paraded around Palmira dos Indios and Limoeira de Anadia with the heads, which were being kept in boxes full of salt and formaldehyde. 
Also, on the 31st, the heads of Lampião and Maria Bonita were taken by truck to Maceió, and they were very swollen. The other heads were sent by train and arrived on the 1st. So you have the exploited heads and the other ones, right? The, the, the lesser heads, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody applauded the policemen wherever they went with the heads. Um, it's, it's heads on tour. Guys, heads on tour. Uh, men even asked to open Lumpion's right eye to confirm that it was actually the cross-eyed king. Yeah. Yeah. And they call him the cross-eyed, cross-eyed king, king one of his eyes was... How do you translate that? Hey, Vizgo. Oh, hey, Vizgo. Hey, Vizgo. Was he actually cross-eyed, though? He wasn't. He just had one eye that was oh, glossed okay. over because he was blind. Yeah. On Sunday night, still on the still on the thirty first, the cops showed the two heads to a crowd that awaited to look at the marvelous marvelous beauty of two swollen heads. After the autopsy, the heads were taken to the Nino Rodriguez Institute in Salvador, Salvador, where they would be exposed for thirty beautiful years. Yes. 30 years. Yes, listener. You For 30 years until the 60s, 70s, whatever, you could go and look at the heads. 30, like, and like, mind you, the heads, like, by the third place that they took these hats, this hat, these heads, <laughs> the they were already fucking swollen. Now, picture 30 years in Salvador, which is fucking hot. Mm-hmm. It is hot in Salvador. My it head alive hot. can barely handle it. Can you imagine a dead person's head yeah jeez and like after this so after the whole shooting um most of the people who were uh part of the cangaceros and all of that Mm -hmm. they actually surrendered because um getulio vargas signed like an amnesty type of thing and he Mm -hmm. was like oh you guys can just like lead your lives and whatever but not everyone though Mm-hmm. So remember how I said that I was going to briefly talk about Dada and what's his face? What was her fucking husband's name? Corisco, right. So mm-hmm. Corisco's like, fuck no, I'm not abandoning my life of crime. I want to be criminal, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he decided to continue with his freaking criminal life. And she followed because here's the thing. Not every woman in this story, uh, like every Cangaceiro's wife. Not mm-hmm. all of them wanted to be there. Like, Sila is one of them. She was kidnapped at 14 by one of them. And he was like, well, you're coming with me or I'm killing your family. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, okay, guess I'll go. Sure, then, Same yeah. thing happened to Dada and Corisco. And I believe uh, like, she was kidnapped at 13 and like, they Jesus hated each Christ. other for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Stuff to love. They hated and... each other for a long time and then like, they started like, loving each other like she really i don't know what the fuck stockholm syndrome happened to her but she was really devoted to him because he died in 1940 and the day Mm -hmm. that he died uh he was shot at so basically this is what happened oh my god trying to (laughs) condensate this but i'm just making longer so they went to a farm and whenever they ransack the farm they wouldn't go into the house because if the police was called they could just bounce right Mm -hmm. so they went to the farm uh the people gave them food or whatever and uh once they were ready to go they're like okay let's go get our horses ready 
when they were getting the horses ready, police was like, oh, freeze, blah, blah, blah. And the minute they said freeze, they started shooting the police. <laughs> so it's like, freeze, but let me kill you. <laughs> so they shot at Corisco and they shot Dada and she like jumped over a wall to run. But when she landed on the other side, she realized that her leg was shattered. So she had nowhere to run. And then, um, so, um, they put her in like a little stretcher and put Corisco in a stretcher. He was still alive, by the way, mm-hmm. but then he ended up passing away. Uh, they amputated her leg twice and she ended up having to have her leg, like surgeries on her leg 15 times because since she was like a persona non grata, the mm-hmm. government didn't really care to give her really good medical treatment. So just, just like every up- single American citizen? <laughs> yeah no so they just kept like fucking up every surgery so Holy she needed shit. a new surgery so she was sent to That's prison awful. she was like sentenced to 60 years in prison mm-hmm. and they were just basically leaving her there to like die until she mm-hmm. reached out to this dude and she was like oh i know that you are i think he was like a, a major or something he was like someone important and mm-hmm. she was like i know that you're a very compassionate person like you can see that i'm like wasting away here in prison they're not giving me the correct medical treatment and he advocated for her with like Mm -hmm. all the politicians and all of that and she was set free after two years Hmm. not bad and she would become friends with people like jorge amado who used to visit her all the time wow and he almost wrote a a book about her in corisco but he he said that like since he was really into writing fiction, he was mm-hmm. scared that he would let his imagination run amok and ruin their story. Talking about stories ruined, one of my relatives is a character in one of George Amado's books. Believe really? it or not. Yeah, in Gabriela. That's so cool. You're claiming your fame. I, my claim to fame, yes. One of them is, I don't know which one because my grandma has dementia. She doesn't know this story anymore. And I didn't ask when I was younger. So, my mom might know. Anyways, one of the Gabriela characters, yeah, is because my family's from out there, etc. And it's one of them. I know it's one of them. It's not Gabriela. But my, my grandma actually met the real Gabriela, too. See? See, yes. You could yes. have been famous now. Brazilian literature, anyway. guys, is really good. So, on February 6th, 1969... So, 31 years after this whole shit happened, by court order, Lampion and Maria's heads were buried at the Lazarus Cemetery, along with the heads of Zabelé, Maria Dora, Azulon, and Kanjika, who were also cangaceiros, but they were killed in 1933 in Monte Alegre, Bahia. They were also exposed in this fucking mm. museum, like, American Horror Story type of place. <laughs> American Horror Story, cangas. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. At the same time and place was also buried the head of Corisco, who was killed in 1940. And I believe, yeah, no, I I believe because I read this, but um, <laughs> Dada, she found out where his body had been buried, like, years later. She mm-hmm. went there, she unearthed the body, washed all the bones, dried them up, like, real nice. Mind, she was already married to some other dude. <laughs> like, she cleaned them up real nice and put them in a little chest that she used to keep under her bed and then once they finally gave the order to bury his head she buried the rest of the body with it too 
Um, no comments. The other nine people killed <laughs> with Lumpion were buried at the Saint Joseph Cemetery on August second, nineteen thirty-eight. So again, they were the other criminals. They weren't mm-hmm. important enough to be in the museum. Second-class criminals. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. God, forgive me. I didn't mean <laughs> to say that, but it was scary. <laughs> you're a, you're an accomplice. You're going to hell with me. I'm dragging you down. This is my plan. In 2002, the family had Lampion and Maria's heads exhumed. They are now in Aracaju at an undisclosed location. And that was the story of Lampion. Which is fucking insane. It is, right? It's really cool, though. Like, yeah. I, oh, whenever I hear about this, I'm like, I can't believe this happened in my country. No one cares. I know, right? <laughs> like, and we're there sitting in school learning about what? Feudalism? Yeah, exactly. This would have been, like, much better. I would have yeah. much rather have a um, history of the Northeast. Yeah, Latin American history in general, we barely learn it. Yeah. That's so true. petition to learn about more of this interesting stories because there's so many of them out there. There's a red thing on my neck. Yeah, you're doing okay? Me. I don't know what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> this just popped here. Anyway, yeah, no, yeah. but this is so fucking cool. And there's so many like conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. There's like a theory that um Lumpiel actually lived and he ran away to Minas Gerais. Um, oh. And he lived there until he was like almost a hundred. So what they Jeez. said it was that he had like a double, sort of like Hitler had a double, mm-hmm. and the double died. The double, but wow. historians are like, no, he like the double wouldn't have fooled everybody for that long. So mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. And there's also like this, um, this little tale. So there was one of the people who died, Luis Pedro. Mm-hmm. He had back in 1927. He accidentally killed Lumpion's older brother. What was the other brother's name? Antonio. He accidentally killed him. Um, and then Lumpion did like a whole investigation, and he was like, "Oh no, you actually accidentally killed him. So like, I'm not gonna kill you." And this dude, Luis, was like, "Yeah." Uh, this dude, Luis, was like, "You know what? You have my word. When you die, I'm dying with you." So what mm-hmm. they said happened on the day of the shooting is that after Maria Bonita was shot, she saw that Louise was about to bounce. And she was like, mm-hmm. listen, didn't you say you're going to die with him? And <laughs> he came back and he died. I don't know how true that is mm-hmm. because like she was shot twice, one in the stomach and another time in the back. So I don't fucking know, but... Can I finish this with a movie recommendation, you guys? Yes. You know what I'm going to say? Well, the compadecida. Also, the compadecida. So, you guys, if you speak Portuguese or if you understand any words, even if you don't speak Portuguese, if you have access to, I don't know, database of international movies, watch Alto da Compadecida. I wonder if there's a English name for it. I don't know if it... Let me Google it, but I know that the movie in Portuguese oh, is on YouTube because my dad watches it like every day <laughs> at work. <laughs> so the name, let me say it slower. It's Alto, A L T O, space D A, and then, oh my god, I hate the spelling bee. Especially from translate. It's called A Dog's Will. A Dog's Will. Okay, watch A Dog's Will. 
Nothing to do. It's oh, one what? of like the. It, 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 I'm looking at it right now. Dogsville Adventure Comedy it was released in 2000. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best like comedy movies in Brazil like ever. Yeah, like it's so funny. It's amazing. It's a it never great ceases movie. to amaze me. Yeah, it's like a a, a timeless like piece about mm-hmm. the setting. It's not about cangaceiros. Even though they have cangaceiros in the movie, right? uh it's it's great yeah, yeah. but it's like the setting mm-hmm. the setting the, setting the um some of the figures some it's like the mood of this episode is mirrored on them um yeah. the movie it's but so it's like good so much funnier hmm? yeah it's so much funnier. it's hilarious and, like i really want to i really want to go to like this thing like this place because you know lampion's daughter is still alive his granddaughter helps holds like events and stuff mm-hmm. I'm like i want to talk to you yeah i want me <laughs> that's cool that's a piece of history absolutely why don't we have a netflix show about her i know right like my life as lampion's daughter like yeah come on that would have been interesting yeah i don't know uh i honestly think that like the northeastern part of brazil is like the most like fascinating like culture and stuff because it's like the identity yeah, is so like strong and everything is so i don't know i it's just like something that i really enjoy and i really like appreciate even though i don't i can't handle like the heat heat and stuff which is why i hate florida so i wouldn't handle being there a lot you know but i appreciate the culture like looking at it not being in it because of the the heat and etc but it's yeah. perfect for me because i love the heat I am darker skin, as are like a ton of people mm-hmm. in the Northeast. So I would feel right. <laughs> I think that they have like the most funnier, like the funniest comedians mm-hmm. in Brazil. And I, I myself am a funny comedian sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, so, not here though. Know, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like it's a match made in heaven. Absolutely. I'm gonna go there. You'll yeah, see. Seth yes. really wants to go to the n- n- Northeast. I want to yeah. go to the Northeast so bad. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, this is this one's for our listeners in the northeast. We have people in uh, Recife, Pernambuco, Palmares, São Lourenço da Mata, Jaboatão dos Guararapes, and Olinda. These are all Pernambuco, mm-hmm. which is where he was from. Uh, let me see, Rio Grande do Norte, Ceará, uh, Alagoas. Mm-hmm. We have people in Alagoas, Paraíba. So if you're listening to this. And you want to let me stay over at your house. <laughs> thank you very much. But I'm not going to do it because I'm scared. Yeah. But I appreciate it. If you guys want to start a gang with us and roam the northeast of Brazil. Yes. Yes, girl. That would be so fun. What are we going to do? What are the crimes we're going to commit? Fraud and know, bed checks, etc. Just fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Check hiding. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Big, just like no. these like little scams no. you know we're not scamming any people we're scamming big corporations yeah we're gonna be joanne the scammers <laughs> joanna the scammer which is yeah joanna joanna calotira <laughs> anyways so i think we've had enough i think so, guys, I, I so think, we'll see yeah. you next week uh mm-hmm. yes we will I hope you guys have a good end of the world. Leaders, haters. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to another episode of Suspiria, a true crime podcast. 
If you are a creep and enjoy listening to all of that horrible information, please check out our previous episodes and write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram as Suspiria Podcast. Facebook is also Suspiria Podcast. If you want to follow Carol, you can follow her at Suspiria Carol. And you can follow me at eu.steph. Note, none of us post anything interesting. We do, actually. If you have any case suggestions, feel free to drop them over at suspiriapodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to be part of this podcast, you can also email us. We promise we won't bite. Ciao! Suspiria.